Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. I'm so glad to have you here. Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about something that I'm doing later this month, you know, in January. So I'm hosting a meetup for the podcast, the Forward Thinking Founders Meetup. I'm inviting every guest I've ever had on. I'm inviting any angel investor who's an angel investor in the podcast. And it's going to be a lot of fun. We're having it at a great location in San Francisco in late January. And I would love for you to come. Right now, there's two ways for you to come, really. Um, You can buy a ticket on Eventbrite for 50 bucks. um, Or you can do what I want you to do in the first place and become an angel investor in the podcast. If you become an angel investor in the podcast, you get to come to this meetup. Uh, you know, complimentary to what you pay, which is $10 a month or $100 a year, on top of all the other benefits you get for being a, uh, an angel investor. Uh, if you go on my Twitter, which is Matt underscore Sherman, you'll see that I am playing some like interesting games. If you want to come for free, you have to find someone with a promo code. So if you're interested in doing something like that, head over to Twitter at Matt with one T underscore Sherman. But if you just want to go, you don't want to play games, you just want to meet amazing guests that I've had on the podcast, just become an angel investor. You can do this at glow.fm slash F20R. What you get is obviously access into the meetup. You get premium content. You get an online community. And you get my highest graces and my thank yous because I really appreciate the supporters. So, you know, that's all I have right now. We're going to get into the podcast. But if you want to come to the meetup, then become an angel investor or pay 50 bucks. Up to you. With that, let's get into today's episode. Run it. All right, how is it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we're talking to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very, very excited to be talking to Grayson Allen, who is the co-founder and CEO of Halen. Grayson, welcome to the show. How's it going? Hey, it's going good, Matt. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I remember, I don't actually remember the moment that I discovered your company, but when I saw it, I'm like, this is probably one of the more unique things just in life that, that are, that's being built that I, I've never heard of anything sure. like it before. So I'm just kind of excited to, to, to dive in. And with that, let's just kind of go into what you're working on for people that don't know. What are you working on with Halen? Sure. So uh, Halen's first product is a product called GateSense which is a smart uh, electronic gate latch. Um, It's meant to retroactively install onto any uh, standard gate uh, situation, whether that be residential or commercial, and lets the user uh, turn that into an electronic gate and have all of the conveniences of that. So of having it be both powered and and, um, be able to control with mobile device and things like that. So is this a... Well, actually, one thing I'm wondering about is who are, what are some of the use cases or more so the most common use cases for people that, that use this, this product? Is it like uh, backyards? Is it for commercial? Uh, like what types of people are using this product? <clears throat> yeah, so the most, um, the most interest we've got is on the consumer side and it's for people that have um, like a backyard or like a... Um, uh, some people in Arizona actually have um, like patio gates before they even their front door gets there. 
Um, and so they want, whether it's, they want the Amazon guy to leave their packages inside their property so it doesn't get stolen or they want to make sure their pets didn't get out or, um, the way we were, the way we were originally inspired to make this in the first place was for swimming pools. Um, so there's a huge issue where if that gate is left open, there's lives at stake. So, um, that's a lot of the main motivations on the consumer side. And is it one of these things where let's say I'm an, I'm a parent, which I'm not, but in this case, let's say I am. And, uh, you know, my kids are like, Oh, like dad, we want to go swimming. I can, from my recliner watching, you know, whatever movie I'm watching can just like press a button on my phone and the gate that was locked unlocks and then I can lock it again. Like, I guess, how does the product work in practice? Correct. Um, you can do that. Should you is a different question um, about pool safety, but that's uh, luckily. Luckily, I'm not a parent yet. <laughs> a conversation for another day, but um, uh, but it, it can work like that. So maybe a better scenario uh, for what you're saying is is um, the neighbors and their parents want to come over and swim, and you're at work, right? So you say, yeah, sure. You let them in, and what it does is that enables um, the the button to actually work. So, uh, so if you, if you have a scheduled access time, you say you don't want the kids to work from, or excuse me, the kids to, uh, swim from two to 6 PM or whatever it might be. Um, then that the device doesn't function to manual user input for that time period. And so if you unlock it, then it allows them to push the button, let, let themselves in and out and, uh, and work. So the same thing applies for like service professionals, whether that be the lawn guy, the pool guy, the Amazon guy, it, it's all the same concept. That makes sense. Can you give the the listeners an idea of just like how, if you can describe how it looks? Um, like I'm thinking of a, of a of a of a gate where you know you have that singular bar and then it latches in like a very simple I don't know latch and you can easily just yank it open. Um, I guess. I guess how how heavy is the is the hardware? How much is it to install on uh, onto a gate? Is it light? You know, can you describe kind of the experience there? Yeah, so um, the experience is actually really simple. Um, the The installation itself is um, there's a there's a mounting uh, bracket that you mount to the actual fence. So most most standard square fences are, are, are at least in the U.S. are an inch and a half, right? Sometimes they're an inch, but for the most part, they're inch and a half or bigger. And um, it, it mounts to that. And if you have a rounded one, we have an adapter for that too. And then once you have the mounting plate on for both the, um, the gate unit and the striker is what, what you're referring to, that, that metal latch. Um, the gate sense just slides on, has a locating screw, and you're, you're, you're rocking and rolling. Um, you have to make sure everything kind of lines up and we have an installed template and everything like that for you. But... Um, the, that process is relatively simple. And so the striker for gates that are um, conventional, the striker goes on the swinging side and then it, it uh, impacts a, a latch and that latch is industry, industry standard. Um, the one in our, in our latch has a breaking strength of 800 pounds. So the mounting material is going to break way before any of the um, components do. So you're, you're going to rip it out of the fence before you, before you break it. And where was the motivation to start this in the first place? Um, I guess, what's your why? Um, so we originally started this uh, for pools. So I used to be a lifeguard um, in my 
uh, like high school days, I guess, for the city of Mesa. And I remember a a woman came to a training and she told of a story of a young of her son, and um, she had put him down for a nap. She went to use the restroom. Everything's fine. So now the son wasn't quite asleep. He escaped from his room, past the back door of the home, and past the pool gate that the landscapers for the house had accidentally left open, and he tragically drowned. And I realized that that situation was entirely preventable. And I was able to use um, my interest in tech and my friend's interest in tech to, to make a solution for that, an electronic solution. Because we looked for it and we realized there's nothing there. Um, you, you can't, you get things that maybe buzz and stuff, like, a, like if it tells you it's open and things like that, it might, might sound an alarm. Um, there's some companies that make, pool specific latches that, that again, might just sound an alarm, but there's nothing electronic that'll tell your mobile device. It won't, it won't alert anyone really outside of a buzzer. And um, that's a huge issue, right? You have like, what's, what's the life of your kid worth, you know? And, and um, so that, that was kind of the motivation behind it. And then we've, we've um, slowly realized that the, the, the problem is bigger than that. Um, there's side gates, right. That, that have this problem. So anything in the tech or in the smart home industry right now is, is in or on the home. There's really nothing outside of that. Um, one reason is because it's hard to do. It's hard to get a signal, uh, for that far. And we've, uh, been able to figure that out. And, and, um, but that, that's our main motivation is, was, was doing that is protecting lives, property, peace of mind. Um, so that's our main, main motivation. So I feel like, you know, although I'm not a parent, obviously, um, based on my my genius comment earlier, um, <laughs> although I'm not a parent, I do feel like pool safety, gate safety is is something that parents think about. I think it's something that they, they, they're, they're worried about their kids getting into the pool when they shouldn't, et cetera. So I'm kind of baffled at the fact that there isn't, this isn't a giant well, obviously it's a giant market, but there's not a lot of startups that, based on what you're saying, that are competing for market share. Why do you think that is? Is it a is, is it that it's just that hard to come a solution, or it's just hasn't been on the radar of these of these people that can build solutions other than you? Um, the problem's twofold. So in this case of drowning, you would be shocked at how much people don't care about pool safety. Like. I, it still boggles my mind the, the things that people do when the kids are on the pool, right? When it only takes, I think I haven't looked at the stats in a while, but it takes like four minutes um, for your oxygen to go without, or excuse me, for your brain to go without oxygen before there's an issue, right? Like, do you have any, do you know how much can go wrong in four minutes? <laughs> like, like what's your, what's your attention span on Instagram for it's, it's gotta be more than that. So there's, there's things that, um, that would shock you how much people don't care um, about pool safety, which is part of the reason why we expanded and we've had uh, significantly more interest in um, putting this on their side gates and putting this on their patio gates and for their, their RV gate and things like that much, much more than their pool. Um, which is, which is fine. That's what the people want and, and, it is what it is, but, but that's, that's the first half of the problem is, is at least in the drowning prevention world, um, it's really hard. It's really hard to get awareness out there and have people spend money to make a change um, other than behaviorally. Uh, the other reason is that um, it takes a different kind of technology to get um, a signal from you know, more than 
10, 20 yards outside of your home, especially you have to go through different home materials, uh, whether it be brick or siding or, or different structures. And then, um, distance, some are, some are farther than others. So <clears throat> we have different, uh, solutions and, and for that. So, uh, luckily we've been able to figure that out. Um, and instead of just using the conventional Z wave or Wi-Fi things like that, we, we go with a little bit different route. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's two, uh, totally different issues, but for one, uh, one reason I get why it's difficult now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Well, that's, I mean, from an investor lens, that's like the, the type of, I feel like that's something that would be attractive to investors because if, if it was a big problem that a lot of people were tackling, then, you know, if there's too much competition, but if there's like a few barrier, barriers to entry, but you have the team and the capabilities to, to bypass those, that that's like pretty cool. Um, I'm curious, like, yeah, on the investment lens, have you raised any money for this? Are you going down the venture path? Where kind of are you? Um, well, actually, let me back up for a second. If you can give me a little idea of the history of the company, meaning when you started and like a few milestones and then like what's in the next couple of years for you, um, I would just love to kind of a baseline of, of where you're at kind of as a company. Sure. We started, um, let's see, two years ago, I guess technically three with the new year, but um, started in 2017 and we came out of a um, uh, entrepreneurship program, I guess, out of Arizona State University. Um, we kind of grew up from there and got won a bunch of different small grant fundings to kind of keep us going. And we applied to a bunch of different competitions, but we've, we haven't had a dime of, of venture capital to date. So we still um, own all of it. And uh, that's so far how we funded it is with winning different business plan competitions and, and different um, uh, small competitions here in Arizona. Um, and uh, as far as like, would we take venture funding? Um, yeah, I think we would. I think especially with a consumer product, a consumer hardware product even, it's really, really expensive to do. Um, one of the things we're working on is getting um, a pre-order to show sales. Every single, every single venture uh, capitalist and angel investor asks about sales, uh, which is really, really hard to do with a potentially life-saving hardware product because <laughs> you can't just put out um, some podunk product that might work. You, you just can't. That's not, that's not the way this works. So at least in our case. And um, so it's hard to do and it's expensive to do. So uh, would we be open to it? Yeah. Um, has the right offer come along? No. And so we're trying to show a little bit more proof uh, of sales, uh, whether that be through a pre-order or some other means um, to, to do it that in that way. Sure. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, do you, so for you, it's like, if the, if the opportunity came along, great, but like, you're not like, I feel like there's some founders that are like building for VCs and that's, that's quite not, you know, not the way to do it. Um, it's cool that you funded yourself so far through ASU, uh, competitions. We kind of did that. Um, and I, and one of the first guests on the podcast, uh, Jonathan Barkle of Air Garage got the, like, yeah tons of uh you know that's like that's how you got his kickstart fun story actually uh um i i i i can't obviously take credit for like any of their success but i can say my email blast introducing air garage to the phoenix community in june of 2017 a recipient of that was uh was brent siebold and he's like oh these guys seem cool like you should put me in touch with them and then like that's like like after oh, that nice. it's like 
tons of, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, of the Air Garage guys. And I honestly, I'm just a huge fan of ASU and just kind of like what they're doing for startups. And I hope like, you know, more Air Garages can come out of it. Yeah, I'm as well. Uh, Jonathan's a friend actually, and I keep in touch with him every now and then. I should probably text him actually, but um, he, uh, he's a good guy and they're doing some really cool stuff with Air Garage. So, so I, I, I am also a big fan of, of what ASU is doing. They've helped us a lot. I, I want to go down a, a path that if you, if you don't want to go down it, you can just like let me know. But I, I am kind of, I'm very intrigued to get inside of the psychology of a founder who is extremely capable because you, you built a product and like you shit, like you're shipping it. Um, so that's like more than most people can do, but you're not in the Bay, which means you don't have this automatic, Oh, like I can raise money on an idea. I can raise money on an app. And like, you're this, like this interesting space. Um, a lot, like a lot of the founders in Arizona. So, um, for like the the venture capital stuff, uh, like is there a is there kind of a a milestone that you feel like they want you to hit before like they is there a milestone like that you want to hit before you talk to them? I'm just kind of curious, like what type of traction have they been asking you for, um, and has it has it differed based on geography? Uh, no, you, we don't have to go deep into this if you don't want to. But um, I'm just kind of curious as a founder not based in San Francisco. I always am fascinated. Um, I don't know that I can speak on geography too much because uh, I haven't had like I don't have like my inbox is full of offers. But um, not yet. <laughs> yeah. So uh, as far as um, the experience here. Uh, overwhelmingly they want to see sales. They want to see traction of some kind, um, which is again, really, really difficult to do with a hardware product, right? Um, software you can show mockers and things like that. And, and we can show that too, but that doesn't, that doesn't tell you how many sales you have. So um, we do have some, we do have some paid early adopters and uh, that we've been able to get. And we have models for how many sales we can get based on ad revenue and things like that. But, um, they, they always want to see more, um, what we have is a risky product, uh, and a highly, a high liability product. And so, um, being here and not having a ton of access to money that, that is, um, at least what I've heard is, is somewhat easier to get in the Bay area. Uh, it's been an interesting experience. It's been slightly frustrating, uh, because I think we have a good thing going here and, um, we really, uh, all three of my co-founders are are from here in the Valley and there's a lot of really, really smart people here. There's a lot of opportunity here and um, it's, it's a, uh, we like if someone approached us and said, you need to move to San Francisco, I'd, I'd, I'd tell them pretty bluntly. No, um, we, we really like it here. And I think it's something that we would rather build up here locally and um, support the, the community ecosystem here rather than moving off somewhere else. So let's stay here for a second, uh, not not physically, but on, on this topic. Because I'm all, I'm also in Phoenix, uh, so I, I and I feel the same. Uh, I feel similar ways, um, depending on the day, to be honest. But most of the time, I'm like very long Phoenix. So what do you think a a, a city like Phoenix needs right now to get to the next level, whatever the next level is? Speaking from the founder perspective. Hmm. Um, it's a good question. Uh, I think I just, they just don't have like the history and sexiness of, of, of the San Francisco's and the Austin, Texas and you know, of the world. Right. But 
but I don't know that that's a you, you caught me off guard. This wasn't one of the the questions you <laughs> asked me before, but I get I guess it's just oh yeah, not... I, I totally I did mention on the on the again we can like veer back to uh, to some other things, but I definitely no, okay. I definitely like like to uh, veer from uh, things when when topics are interesting. I always like to go deeper if I can. No, no, it's totally fine. I'm, I'm just saying that's why I'm pausing. Um, because th- there's some really, really cool opportunities, stuff that ASU is doing, and I'm sure other colleges do. And then um, there's really cool co-working spaces, and there's some there's some angel investment, I guess. But like, and um, like another frustrating part for me, um, like the Arizona Innovation Challenge is is a really big grant funding opportunity uh, done by the Arizona Commerce Authority. And even then, like I think eight of their ten finalists this last thing where it was it was all software people and so it's like it, it doesn't have the the notoriety and the um and the uh just i don't know it's not it doesn't seem like a straightforward thing here yet as it maybe is uh, perhaps in the bay area but again i haven't had a ton of exposure there i don't i don't live there so yeah I'm, yeah no yeah I, i'm with you i for me, it's like, it's interesting because I, I grew up in Phoenix and I went to ASU and I started startups here. Um, but just actually a year ago on the dot, I, uh, my, my co-founder and I, we got an investment from an investor in San Francisco. We flew up there for three months and we saw, we like, we saw what it was like and we felt it and we were in the middle and we met the who's who and whatnot. And then after we came back, it was like such an interesting perspective where it's like I know what it's like but now I'm back here and I feel like I have this like I need to I I don't know exactly what the word is but like I also am with you and like I'd rather stay here and invest here and help get Phoenix a better place for startup founders like you and me um, versus just have everyone leave all the time because it's awesome here like I love Phoenix you know it's just maybe it needs a little more capital you know maybe it needs some more education on how to best do a startup from people that have done it but um i'm with you on that and one of the things with the podcast is uh i would like to ch- like at some point if everything's working out at some point i want to be an investor i just want to invest in every company i can find in phoenix and i don't care if i get my money back because like you just need one to return the fund that's the whole point of venture capital so i don't know that was a little bit of a rant but I- i'm with you on phoenix yeah and i think they're really improving i think there's a lot of really cool things happening um, it's fun to go to different uh, mixers and things like that, but <clears throat> it certainly doesn't have the uh, uh, volume that that some other places might have. For sure. Um, well, yeah, I appreciate you you diving into that a little bit. Uh, we'll I'd like, it'll be interesting to see how it changes over the years. Anyways, going back to uh, what you're working on. So, what what do you think is the if you have to be a fortune teller and look out into the future, look out 10 years from now. Um, What do you think your product looks like? And you said this was like the first product so that you might be alluding to multiple products. So what does your company look like? Um, The reason I alluded to more products is because uh, one thing that we haven't mentioned is how uh, is the team that, that I work with. Um, There's some really smart people that I've been able to get involved with and have been um, very, very, uh, very, very important in Halen's progress. And, um, and so the reason, um, 
the reason I say that is because I, I, the more I talk to other founders, the more I talk to um, venture, venture capitalists and things like that, the more I realize that it's really rare, um, at least from what they tell me, to have um, at least three or four engineers of totally different, uh, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Uh, backgrounds? Uh, backgrounds, uh, uh, disciplines. Disciplines, there we go. Um, totally different disciplines get along and get along well and and be able to get together and 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 disagree and totally be friends after disagreeing because you're because you're going after what's good for the product what's good for the company and how to bring forth a good product not you don't actually care about where it came from where that idea came from you care about getting the best idea out and and the more i'm around i realize how rare that is and so I, I think it's really important to keep that team together. Um, and I think we can make other products and other smart products if for whatever reason, um, GateSense doesn't happen to work out. Um, but that's, that's kind of where I see, um, I see it going other places that, that, that GateSense is our first product, but the first of many. So, um, I think it'll be, I think there will be a smart, uh, gate latch on a lot, a lot of homes moving forward, whether that's GateSense or not is a different story, um, but I think it will happen regardless. Um, and I think on the consumer side, there are, or excuse me, the enterprise side, um, for places like schools, uh, oil and telecom, um, a bunch of different um, enterprise that they have access, access control problems um, that aren't wired in, that they need, that they have issues with, that they need help on, and that, uh, there will be a solution there as well. And I'm hoping that that's gate sense as well. So are you managing uh, a team of mostly or all technical, technical people? <clears throat> yes. Correct. If you don't, I'd like to dive into that a little bit. How, I guess I have one question. How, uh, like how do you know if they're right? How do you manage the intricacies? If you aren't, well, I, I, I guess I, I shouldn't assume. Like, are you also technical, or would you say you're 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 less technical? Um, I would say I'm technical in physical things, not so much software. So, cool. so you can like, so you kind of can speak the language. Well, yes, I'm kind of cutting you off. Sorry. So, what's it like managing? You're fine. A a, a team of te- of technical people. Um, what are the the fun parts of it, and you know the parts that are more challenging? So I actually think it is a benefit to not necessarily speak the language of everyone um, or at least speak it in depth. And it's come in handy more than once because um, so my background is manufacturing engineering. That's what I went to school for. Um, but I run uh, projects for my day job and then um, things like that. So I know a lot of engineering. I know a lot of materials and how different things should work. Um, and I know enough about software to know uh, when people are full of BS and when they're not. And so um, I think that's really helped us is because we can have meetings where we say, oh, we're going to accomplish X, Y, and Z, and here's how we're going to do it. And I can challenge when my co-founders say, are you sure that's that's how this is going to work? Like, like you've, you made a lot of assumptions here. Like, are you you know, do we know that all, all these assumptions work? And, th- and then they can do the same for me, right? So they say, are, you know, are you sure that you can, you can make this out of XYZ material? And are you sure that you can tool it for this much money? Like, 
And so because we don't know the nitty gritty of each other's stuff, um, we've developed enough trust within the team that we can challenge each other pretty openly uh, about different things. And so um, I think that's why it works. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Are they all, you might have just mentioned this, so apologies if I'm making you repeat yourself, but is everyone in some ways kind of in charge of a different type of technology of the product? Like is, is everyone have very unique skill sets or um, or is, is a little overlapping or a little bit of both? Uh, mostly unique. So I, again, mine's a manufacturing, so I deal with a lot of the modeling and a lot of the material stuff and molding. Um, one of my co-founders is in software engineering. So he and his, a lot of his uh, background is in the back end, things like that. Um, another co-founder is in electrical engineering and he does a lot of firmware. He's really good at that. And then we have two other electrical engineers that we're working with that do the circuitry and the wiring and things like that. So for the PCB and the PCB design and schematic and, and everything like that. So yeah, everyone largely does a different job. And if you don't mind me asking, uh, are most of you or all of you working for pretty much, I really, this might be like, a, all right, you take this question if you want, but are you all working for equity? Are you all getting paid? Like, or did you like, are you recruiting these spit talent people to work for on the vision for the promise of something in the future or something great? Like how, how do you get these, these uber talented people to work with you when you're such an early stage startup? Um, so with the three original founders, we split it three ways. And um, to me, that's only fair. I I think I only do a third of the work, and that's that's fine. Um, and then as we've brought on, it's like we brought on two more electrical engineers, and um, we brought them on when we were probably 75 80% through, and we knew that we needed someone with more uh, talent knowledge than us to take it the distance. And so we gave them uh, equity to reflect that. And, um, and so, yeah, that's how, and they, they took a bet on us. They liked, they liked what they saw. They thought we could go somewhere. They had the problem in their own homes and they said, yeah, we want this to exist and we'd like to help you. So um, yeah, everyone's working for equity and no one's been paid. So, uh, but the three you know that's a, majority. And you know, you know, that's like, you may not realize it cause you're in the thick of it, but that's like pretty much, a superpower that you can convince people that have technical talent to spend their time working on, on something where they're not getting paid. It's like, it's equity. Um, that's like a really positive sign in all aspects that they, that they, like that they're working on it. I think all the best, all the best startups um, in my limited view, I have a very limited view, but like very often it's just sweat equity in the beginning. Um, and if you can convince like technical people to, to, to give their sweat equity, like that's awesome. <laughs> um, did you, was it hard or did they, were they just compelled by like the vision? Were they compelled by you? Like, how would you, like, if you don't mind me asking, like, I guess even your two co-founders, like, were you friends beforehand? Like I'm, I'm throwing a bunch of questions at you, but I just want to dig into how you've recruited these technical people. <laughs> Yeah, so um, one of the one of the co-founders names Kevin Hale. Um, he's a software guy. Uh, he's been my friend since like seventh grade. So I've known Kevin for a long time. Um, and then through like a church connection, he we met Curtis, who's a hardware engineer, and, and I think he was a little bit burnt out with his day job and realized this was a cool thing that that should exist. And so he started working on it. And um, again, down the line, I I don't think it's it's me. I don't. I think it's the uh, 
I think it's the compelling aspect of the product and where it can go and realizing that, um, wow, there really is a huge need for this. So, um, yeah, let's get on board. And obviously if you, if you do nothing and no one plays their part, no one's going to be on board because they don't see progress. So, um, it's a tricky thing to balance. You have to continue to push, uh, for progress and to make sure that everyone's happy with the way it's going. Um, so it's a tricky thing to balance, but, but yeah, that's how it worked out. Yeah. I remember <laughs> there was a, my first, I'm not even going to call it a company cause it wasn't a company, but my first like project that I thought, you know, I was like a hot shit startup CEO, like we were talking about before, which we'll probably go into now. Um, I like recruited, I don't know. I think it was like 10 people, none of them technical to just join this team to build an app. And this was like, before, this was before everything. This was before Publoft, this was Schmooze, which sure. was my first thing. And it's just uh, in that moment, I, mean, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. And like it broke up like a two weeks later. Cause I was, I was off the rails and ever since then I'm just like slowly getting on the rails, but not so much that I'm too much of a conformist, you know, cause you can't be like, if you're starting a company, you can't be too much of a conformist. But like back then I'm just like, yeah, like get a team, like equity for everyone. It's pretty funny. Um, and uh, it kind of brings, the reason I bring that up is from something that we were talking about before, uh, before we started recording, which is, titles and like what that means in an early stage startup so like how do you think you know you got you got three co-founders it sounds like you have two other technical people how do you think about you know that's a team of five or six how do you think about titles do you do is it you guys fuss over them do you not care um how, how much do you care about titles at this stage at like five or six people um at this stage really very very little uh, and so do my co-founders. Um, we care about putting out a good product and we take the job of whatever needs to be done at the time. Um, and whatever title comes with that, great. Who I couldn't really give a hoot about it. Um, I think, I really think the first time we even uh, mentioned titles was probably, oh gosh, it's probably three or four months ago. And it was because of, of the, the Arizona Innovation Challenge, they asked for it. We're like, uh, I guess these are our titles. <laughs> like, threw it on there because, because they, because it was required. And so we're like, oh crap! Like, how do we? And uh, so we just like texted in, in Slack, and we're like, yeah, that'll work. <laughs> threw it in because we don't, we don't actually care. We, we, you know, we're all different stuff, different backgrounds. We don't. I don't think anyone has some power trip. So, um, you can say you're a CEO now, but no one, no one cares, in my opinion. So go go make something good and new, and 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 then we'll talk. How did you learn about how to start a company? You sound like someone that just kind of you're figuring it out as you go, but you also feel like I feel like you have a base knowledge at least for, from this point. Where did you learn? Just how did you get this far? Where, where are some of the resources that you have sucked up to 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 learn how to do all of this? Um, I would attribute a lot of our uh like what are the small things you need to do success to to asu's entrepreneurship program um for real they they, they help you with the nitty-gritty stuff that you're like i don't even know how to make an llc like what you know like i want to make my lemonade stand but I don't, I don't even know what to do uh they have they had a lot of good resources to help us do that and then there's been people and mentors uh along the way that have been very generous and very gracious in saying, hey, man, these guys are really trying to do something here. Um, 
I'll give them my two cents. And, and I think we've just had a lot of people here and there that have done that for us and mending those together. That's, that's kind of how we've gotten along. For sure. For sure. How, what would you say over the, the course of founding this company and growing it, what have been the biggest, uh, the biggest lessons that you've learned? Um, and maybe lessons that, you know, weren't obvious, but then they happen. It's like, Oh, duh. Like, I guess, uh, yeah. What have you learned so far? Um, like specifically about the product or about, about running a company, anything, anything that comes to your mind that just in your entrepreneurial journey, since you started this company, it could be about your customers, about the product, about running the company, about dealing with investors, about Arizona startup scene, anything. Um, Good question. Um, what have I what have I learned? It's another one that I don't think I put on the <laughs> on the preparation document. I should probably beat that up a little bit. I'm sorry. That's, a, that's okay. Uh, you just have to edit out a lot of pausing. <laughs> um, I think I think just the main thing is uh, I don't I don't think anyone is at least in my experience. Um, I don't think anyone's trying to like, not, that's not a good way to phrase it. I'm trying to think of how to phrase what I'm thinking. Um, I think people for the most part are good inherently. Uh, I think, I, I don't, I think the cases of people getting screwed over, uh, in my opinion, in my very limited perspective are relatively rare. There's times where you should protect yourself and things like that. And we certainly do, but I, I've been very overwhelmed and, grac- and, and grateful uh, for people that that um, are sig- very busy, uh, way too busy for me, and have given their their time and and resources to to say, hey, you might want to look out for X, Y, and Z, and um, you also you also might want to do this. Why don't you reach out to them? Um, here's a phone number. Or here's an email. Uh, I, th- I think people inherently are are good and want to help. I think a lot of them have been in your situation. And so there's, they're saying, Hey, uh, here's my little tidbit. I can't give you hours and hours of help, but here's what I can give. And I think that's been really cool uh, to learn and, and that I've been surprised about. I, 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 I think I viewed it as kind of this cutthroat world that, that no one cares about you, which is, which is true for the most part. But, um, but I think I viewed it as in like everyone's just just totally terrible people and and but that's not the case. There's a lot of good people that that are trying to help and do good. So um, I think that's what I've been most uh, pleasantly surprised about. Do you think that the I don't know? I kind of want to riff on that for a little bit because I do. I agree that most people are good. But I think when you get incentives misaligned and when contexts are missed and like information is missing, there are like good people that can be perceived as bad people by other good people. And and it's like this, I don't know, it's something that I've seen a lot that where it's like two good people that see each other as, as not that. Um, and I just, I think it's just, uh, it just means keeping is open communicators just like the best communication that you can just trying your best you know you're never going to see eye to eye with everyone 
and there's going to be someone that sees something differently from you or sees you as a, you know, just like, I don't know. I like, I, I might have more of like a, a potentially slightly more cynical view um, just cause I like, I've, I've seen some, I don't know. I've just seen shit happen. Um, but I like that you are, you, you do think that like most people are good and they are. Um, I just like wish that played out sometimes more in the, in the world. No. And, and certainly there's times to be careful. Um, there's just times where you, where you can tell that like, ah, this doesn't feel right. Like, <laughs> I don't yeah. know. This, this feels a little icky, but, um, but there's also times where, uh, like people, um, like for example, there was one where uh, a guy approached me the other day, and I happened to look up his title, and he was from a big VC firm in San Francisco, and he's like, "You need to do this, this, and this, and you need to you need to have it be this price, and and because this is the price of these people I know, because I because we were investors in them, and I was like, no, it's not, because I literally copied their pricing like yesterday. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know you're wrong, you know. So there's there's different things that come up, and I'm like, ah, there's. So, so there's certainly times to be careful, but um, I think for the most part, uh, uh, conservative positivity is is, yeah. is a safe bet. Um, and I guess I like that conservative lesson, positivity. I've never heard guess, that phrase before. Um, I guess the lesson to be learned there is that when you find someone good, you should you should keep them around. Um, and if they aren't, then you shouldn't. <laughs> Which sounds pretty uh, obvious, but. I, I've kind of realized that both in my business and personal life. So I was like, sometimes there's people that are just kind of leeches and don't actually like, aren't that great. So I'm not going to keep them around. And there's some people that are super good and I should probably keep those relationships going. Um, and uh, I think that's helped a lot for us. I guess that's the lesson to be learned there. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. Well, cool. I have one more question for you before we wrap it up. Um, you know, you are at the early stages of starting a company. I mean, you've already started it. Now you're just growing it, operating it, et cetera. Um, and, uh, you know, chances are you can use some help. Uh, you know, every founder needs help if, if, if it's being offered. Um, I know when I was a founder, I could always use help. So you got all these people listening who they might be founders, they might be investors, they might just be fans, but they all know this question is coming. And uh, the question is, how can the forward-thinking founders community help you? Do you have an ask that you have of the community that we can assist with? We are all ears. Um, it's a good question, because I, I don't love asking for help, because I'm stubborn that way. But um, no, I would say just, uh, I don't know if anything specific. I, I it, it means a lot when people reach out to our company and and even just a private email even and just say like this is really cool. You guys are doing a great job and sign up for our reservation list or whatever. I think I think those notes go a long way of just giving a shout out on whether that be personally or through social media or whatever. Um, we've had a lot of lot of chance encounters that have brought us a long way just because someone was like, Hey, these people are doing something cool. And then like some random dude saw it. And, and I think especially being in Arizona, that would be, um, you know, as, as we discussed earlier, kind of the limited, uh, limited, slightly more limited perspective than maybe some other bigger tech scenes. Um, that would be a huge help for us is just saying whether that be posting or, or even just messaging us saying you, you guys are doing great. Keep going. Um, 
we, we always love that. We always share it in, in Slack and doing stuff like that and saying, yeah, what we're making here matters. Um, there's people's, there's, there's literally lives that can be affected by this product. And so what we're making here matters and it's good and we should keep going. Boom. We will end on that. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Uh, really appreciate your time and all your insights. And I'm looking forward to hearing about the success as you, uh, as you keep rolling along. Yeah, thank you again for having me. It's been fun. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. And if you did enjoy it, and you have enjoyed previous episodes, and you by chance would want to meet a good amount of the guests I've had on the podcast, then you should come to the Forward Thinking Founders Meetup. If you listened to the beginning of this episode, you know how to attend, how to get information. But if you forgot, all you have to do is become an angel investor in the podcast for $10 a month or for $100 a year. You get access to all our in-person events and online communities and premium content. It's a hell of a deal. And let me be honest, it really supports me as a creator. So if you're interested in meeting some of the guests and me, your host, at this meetup in San Francisco late January, go to glow.fm slash F20R. And let's make it happen. Hope you have a great rest of your day and I will see you tomorrow. Peace.